Episode 6 of the Rugby Paper Podcast looks forward to the biggest weekend yet of the 2022 Six Nations. I'm rejoined by Nick Kane and Brendan Gallagher, as well as Wales legend and their highest ever try scorer Shane Williams to preview Wales versus France, England versus Ireland and Italy versus Scotland. Enjoy. Nick, Brendan, great to have you here. Shane Williams, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's a pleasure to be alongside you today. Obviously, we are going to look forward to this weekend. I just want to remind of the events of nearly a fortnight ago. France steamrolled Scotland effectively. England just about prevailed over Wales and Ireland ended up winning comfortably. Question for the floor. Do we see anything right now other than a France Grand Slam? They're not there yet. They're not there yet. Six Nations Championship, it's full of people who have fallen on the last hurdle unexpectedly, uh, not least England. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion tomorrow night, although I do think France will get through in the end. And then you've got the big nervous finale against England. And there's, there's just no... England have become the new France. There's no telling what sort of England's going to turn up. So they're not there yet, but, oh, yeah, they are in the box seat. There's no question about that. I'm sure you mean England have become the new France of, what, five or six years ago? Not the, yeah, not, 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 the France, <laughs> not the France of today, yeah. certainly not. Shane, what about you? Do you feel that there's it could go any other way than a French Grand Slam? I, I don't at the moment. Unfortunately, I do think they'll beat uh, Wales tomorrow night. They've, they're far too strong. They're far more organised than they've ever been. Their discipline is good and they're just strong in all departments, unfortunately. Yeah, I see them beating Wales in Cardiff, which will give them a huge boost because it's a difficult place to come and play. And they have had their, their problems there in the past, but I think they're, they're a different animal at the moment. And I, and I do think they're a better team than, than England as well. I think this French team could put two teams out and, and be pretty successful in the Six Nations, to be honest with you. I think Sean Edwards and Gartier have done a great job there. They're sprinkled with stardust and they just look like a team to me at the moment that could go on and win the World Cup. Um, that's how good I, I, I really do think they are. They're a joy to watch. Defensively, they're organised, physical and strong. And I can't pick many faults from them at the moment. Hopefully, I can pick a few tomorrow night and Wales could do the business. But, you know, I'm not putting my mortgage on it. So, Shane, you've just said that France are a joy to watch. And obviously, some world beaters, they tend to sort of stick to the script, so to speak, and make sure they do the basics well, have no holes in defence or whatever. France, they outplay teams with the ball and versus Scotland, I found myself screaming at the TV sort of in delight at some of the rugby that I saw them playing, both for the tries they scored and the nearly tries. Nick, do you think there is a better team in world rugby for the neutral than France at the moment? No, probably not. Not in terms of, uh, you know, their, their entertainment quotient. Just going back to the Grand Slam thing, there are never any foregone conclusions when it comes to Grand Slams. Uh, strange things happen on a regular basis when teams are pitching for the, the full uh, hand. This time around, though, the portents are very much in their favour. Uh, just a quick note on England versus Wales from a couple of weeks ago. We said on this podcast, on episode four, that it was going to be a nail-biter. After half one, it looked like that wasn't going to be a, the case, but it ended up indeed being the case. Shane, how did you feel after the loss? And obviously there was a bit of controversy, Wayne Pivak seeing a bit of foul play from Itoje, who allegedly shoved out Adam Beard in the build-up to Don Brandt's try. Do you agree with that? Or do you think the better team won on the day? I, I do think the better team won on the day. Wales were very poor in the first half and England could potentially have run away with that game by half-time. The encouraging thing for a Welsh fan and a Welshman really is, is their performance in the second half. You know, the tries, their attitude right till the end. And, I, you know, I was more pleased with that than the game itself, to be honest with you. Look, there was, there was a nudge in the line-out and I'm one of these people who say, yeah, it's great to have TMOs, but I'm a little bit fed up of going back to every little little incident that happens on the field. A lot more should have been made of it by the players on the field. Try was given, you know, as and as a commentator, I didn't really see that initially. The little nudge, the players should have been screaming, waving their hands in the air because if there was a nudge and they made attention to it, the referee would have had to have gone back and had a look anyway. So I think it's been naivety there. But England certainly were made to work for their money in the second half. And I was quite quite proud to be a Welshman after that second half performance. So a lot of positives to come from it. But you are going to have these controversies. You know, it's it's a game full of controversies at the moment with all the new laws, the tackle laws, etc. But they're talking points, aren't they? And, and, and it makes things interesting sometimes. It is interesting. And I don't want to dwell on the shove too much. But just one further question on it. One picture has been circulating quite a lot of Maui Toje grinning, smirking after it happened. And obviously it could be a grin of elation. England have just scored a try. It could be a grin of, I knew exactly what I was doing there. And the media have been publishing it as the latter. Shane, do you think it was just a, a general elation or do you think Marutoje is the type of player who would you know, yeah. do something like that and play very closely to the laws of the game? Look, it could have been wind. He could have had wind. Who knows? I think um, 
<laughs> the fact that he probably is a clever player and he does play on uh, on the edge of the law. Uh, but that's why we we see him as one of the best, to be honest with you. Alan Wynne Jones is very similar. Look, he's he, he probably thinking to himself, look, I, I, I may have got away with one there, but he's not going to dwell on it. He's not going to care. They won the match and uh, and they can get on with it. And, you know, if they do go back to every incident on the TMO, we you know, we'd be there for three or four hours watching these matches, to be fair. He's got away with it. He shouldn't have got away with it. But, you know, the Welsh team should have made a bit more fuss of it, to be honest with you. Look, it's that picture could have been taken from anywhere, really. And I think you always we always like to make a lot more of, of what it actually is, to be fair. But a great player that helped his team to uh, to win a big game in, in Twickenham. When isn't there a nudge in a lineup? There are probably four or five of them going on in every lineup. You yeah. know, I mean, it's uh, something and nothing, really. I think that's a very magnanimous look on it. Just a quick note on the Rugby Paper Predictions League. Brendan keeps reminding us that he submitted his predictions two months ago to sort of compensate for any <laughs> misfires, so to speak. But he's actually gone top on 55 points after three correct results and two perfect team scores. Nick has overtaken me with one perfect team score and three correct results. He's on 52. I'm third on 51. And Shane, your predecessor was Michael Owen, who decided to back Wales to beat England, Scotland to beat France, and Italy to score 25 points against Ireland, which I don't quite know what he was on when he submitted that. <laughs> yeah, he's had a shocker. He has had an absolute shocker. So you've got some making up to do, to say the least. You're 20 points behind third place on 33. But okay. we will see. If there's anyone who can pull it out of the bag, it's Shane Williams, as you showed on the pitch. So let's address Wales versus France. The Wales team selection is interesting. The biggest talking point, Seb Davis and Josh Navidi coming into the back row. Let's talk about Davis, first of all. There's this sort of lock slash back row hybrids that you see in the likes of Law, Zitoje, Tygburn. Cameron Walkie. Nick, do you think this is something that we're going to keep seeing in that it gives an extra line-out option, a bit of extra bulk? Is it specific to France, who have a back row with an average height of six foot three? What do you think the thinking was from PVAC here? I don't think that there, there are too many things that are new in the game. I remember Alan Wetton playing at number six for New Zealand. He's exactly the sort of prototype of the, the guys that you're seeing back in now. They're probably bigger now. Laws and Seb Davis are, are, are lock, lock size. There's always been a tradition of big blind sides, and it's coming back in now, presumably line out lifting and so on. When you're playing a, a side with a pack as big, not just in terms of tonnage, but in terms of height as the French, you need the ballast. You know, otherwise you're going to be uh, you're going to be swamped. Shane, do you feel if we're talking about Navidi's inclusion, do you feel slightly bad for Tane Basham here, who was, you know, many of Bills him as Wales is shining light against Ireland, slightly ill-disciplined against England. All of a sudden, Navidi plays one game and he's back in and Basham isn't even in the squad. It's very difficult on Basham, to be fair. He has been one of our standout players and that's even from the Autumn series. I still think he's a bit green. I think he does give the odd penalty away that a Navidi or a Tipperick certainly wouldn't. But that's, that's all part of the learning game, I think. Pivak is trying to kind of work out his dynamics in that back row and I just don't think he's there yet at the moment and there will be more changes I believe but Josh Navidi is class he comes with that experience he'll be an absolute dog around the breakdown trying to slow the ball for, for France which let's be honest it's it's key and I think Josh Navidi is the perfect man for that job he's obviously fit enough and it, yeah it, you've got to be it's always hard done by when you don't haven't really done anything wrong and then you get not only dropped from the team but you're not even on the bench as well so it's very difficult for a young man but Again, it'll be a character testing session for him and I'm sure he'll come back stronger. Also, you look at players like Ellis Jenkins, who was Wales's best back rower in the Autumn series. He's basically been said, right, ta your mate's coming in from the same club. You've got to go back and play in South Africa for your club this week. So, you know, it's a ruthless game. It really is. But look, Josh Navidi's a class player and I hope he's close to 100% fit because he, he will be a thorn in this, in this French side on the weekend. I think I think with Basham, I watched him closely in, in the Wales match and I thought he looked a bit tired and battered and he was really good, obviously, against Ireland. I thought he was pretty good in the second match. He is a young bloke. I think there was a bit of a physical barrier, you know, and he took that huge double hit from Curry and, and Laws. He's a young guy. I, I don't think actually, given Wales always have this back row strength, there's any harm uh, in withdrawing him from the fire for a, for a game or two, as long as it's handled properly, as long as Peebac has sat down with him and, and said the right things, explained it, and um, there isn't a sort of massive dip in confidence. No, interesting, interesting. And the other talking point in the pack is in the front row. Gareth Thomas comes in for the Lion, Win Jones. Do we think that that is catering to France specifically, Nick? I don't think you 
can really cater specifically for France at the moment. I think that Cyril Bai is a fantastic loose head. Antonio has got a mobility now that he's not had. And I don't think that uh, Wales scrummaging-wise, personnel-wise, I'm not sure quite how much difference it makes. I think that uh, they will be tested absolutely to the full. Well, one of the problems Wales have had, Sam Warburton has lamented it in recent times, their lack of physicality. And obviously physicality has to be right up there with the most important things you've got to bring to France. Shane, do you see this tight five as having that physicality to match the French or at least keep the French at bay to a point? Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't see it, uh, the front five matching the physicality with France. That front five is massive, absolutely massive. They're ball carriers, they're first receivers, and also the decoy runners for the backs. So they, they, the work rate they go through is incredible. Wales sometimes are very one-dimensional. You know, it's either Dan Bigger trying to get it out the back or it's a, it's a short, low pass to the likes of Wynne Jones and Elias. Very easy to read. And the French defence will read that, uh, read that and eat that up all day long. So even with Gareth Thomas coming in, who was a very big, big man, uh, very good scrummager, it's still going to be a very difficult tactic to play against France. But... I, you know, having spoken to some of the lads, I think Gar Thomas has come in as, as more of a ball carrying threat, scrummaging. I think they're very equal, and and like we've just alluded to, I don't think that's an issue anyway with Wales at the moment. And I, and I think it's just the fact that the, the the front five for Wales, I believe, need to start that work rate a bit more. They need to carry a bit more. They need to support, and they need to start getting over that gain. And like the likes of Bai, Wookie, Aldrit, and all these guys are doing on a continual basis uh, with France. The likes of Adam Beard, Will Rowlands, you know, they, they do carry a lot, but they don't get over that gain line enough for me. They don't use footwork. They're not aggressive enough in the contact. They seem to just crumple rather than fight for that extra inch. And maybe that's what Wales have been working on this week because France, they're, you know, they've got ball carriers from 1 to 15. They're all as skillful as each other. And that's why they're so dynamic and good to watch. They, you know, that's where they, they get there over the game then, and that's where they make the difference. Wales need to kind of get there as well. Let's move on to the back line. Shane, you mentioned there a tendency of Wales to one decoy runner and then you carry. Uh, so yeah. Nick Tompkins has been forced out with concussion and that's one player that I think Wales are really going to miss. Owen Watkin and Jonathan Davis alongside one another, there's a defensive stability there. Tompkins, he's a fantastic player. He's not as big as either of those men and he does fall off maybe one or two more tackles. But is there enough attacking noose to be able to bring it to the French backline? I think that's something we have been uh, kind of lacking in Wales for some time. I think Nick Thompson had a great season with Saracens and I thought he was superb in the second half against England. So disappointed he's not playing. But obviously, I think with Jonathan Davis coming back in, it's, it's purely an experienced head in the centre of that midfield against the likes of Fico, Villiers on the wing for France, who was extremely busy. You know, it's keeping an eye on that and, and making that defensive line stable and working with a younger Owen Watkin. You know, I've no doubt that that area is going to be very strong for Wales. But is Jonathan Davis isn't he isn't 20 years of age anymore. He's, he hasn't quite got that pace to get on the outside and release the likes of Liam Williams and Adams and Cuthbert. But he's still a very good distributor. And I wouldn't be surprised on Friday if he steps up and becomes first receiver and then starts using the likes of Dan Bigger around the back and trying to get outside this French defence. It's a big ask. In terms of attacking threats, for me, there is a little bit of a George North-shaped hole in the Wales midfields at the moment, obviously very much started his career as a winger and he has moved inside in recent years. Do you think he comes straight back into that midfield when he's back from injury? Oof, well, it, it's it's a big ask. It is a big ask. I think I think people don't realise how, how nasty an injury he's really had. He's been up for some time now and it's, it's always a difficult place. Being a centre, you've got to be on top of your game pretty much every week. A player of... of of George North's quality, you know that when he's, you know, had a couple of uh, matches for for the Ospreys and and he started to look anywhere near as fit and, and and as of quality as he usually is, he gets in most international teams, doesn't he? Let's be honest. So I, th- I think we're all kind of um, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for George to come back. But he's had a, he's had a nasty injury this time, and um, the last thing we want to do is kind of rush him back. Obviously, you know, we got priority with other Six Nations, we got World Cups coming up, and. And a player of George North's quality gets in, in, in a number of international teams, to be fair. You would hope he'd make it to the World Cup. Say he doesn't. Brendan, do you think Wales have deployed a midfield without him that you would consider World Cup quality? I mean, I think the search is still going on a little bit, isn't it? Because you have had this huge injury to George North, ACL, was it 11 months and counting? 
Tompkins has been an addition without a doubt, but he's a very particular sort of 12, isn't he, or, or 13, but he's that small, lively, dancing around, very tough for his size, but he's not a big hitter in any way. It's a little bit of a problem position. They still, on their day, can play fluent rugby, three tries to one against England. Um, they can still ignite sometimes and, and produce some really fluent attacking rugby. But no, I don't think the midfield is really where they want it to be at the moment. If Wales are able to um, to get outside France or, or even uh, inside them sometimes, you know, I mean, Cuthbert and Adams, uh, Cuthbert's enjoying an Indian summer. You know, I mean, he's looked very, very good since he's come back. And uh, he's always a handful. He's a great opportunist. And Adams is, you know, one of the best finishers that there is around at the moment. You know, Wales don't lack the ability to strike as they showed against England. Like England at the moment, they don't have that physical power in the midfield that Jamie Roberts brought, George North has brought as well. You know, so uh, it's a problem for those teams. And it's an interesting, you know, conundrum as to whether teams can get around that element of having that really big carrier. You know, you get a guy like Dante for, for France, you know, Vakatawa can't get in the side. Dante looks like a prop. I mean, he's unbelievable. And, he, you know, one of the offloads that he made against the Scots was sublime. And Bai could play in the centre as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'd love to see that. I actually have an interesting midfield proposition uh, for you guys concerning England, which we'll get to later on. But just on this topic of the back three, that is an area where Wales do have more strength and depth, arguably, than their midfield. Just a quick note on a guy who isn't in the size, Lewis Rees-Samet. Shane, I'm going to come to you for obvious reasons about this. Cuthbert has come back in and gone so well, it made it quite difficult for him to get back in the side. Why do you see him being dropped? Was it defensive frailty? Was it high ball work that he needs to work on? Or do you just think at the moment he's not one of the best two wingers in, in Wales? I, I think the difficult thing for Louis, Louis is, um, you know, you come into the Six Nations absolutely flying. He, he was the reason that Wales won the Six Nations last year. You know, some of the tries he scored. Scotland and, and Ireland, you know, saved the day, basically. You know, obviously on top of the world, young man, what's always difficult is, is trying to emulate that week in, week out. You know, you, you can't play that well week in, week out. It's, it's impossible. You know, it's, it, it, it is impossible. And I think the, the second kind of Six Nations that he's involved in, it was far more difficult. And also, you, you know, you've got to give credit to the players around him. Josh Adams has come back from injury. He's, more, he's probably out of the three wingers the most consistent. He's, you know, the tries he scores, the involvement he has in the games. And, and so Josh comes straight back into the team and, and maybe deservedly so. And the, and the chat then last week, if this Six Nations, sorry, is Cuthbert, you know, where's he come from? He hasn't really played that many games. So the Ospreys, why is he entitled to come back? So obviously people are seeing things that the regular Joe don't see on a daily basis. And then Cuthbert against England was superb. Probably the best game he's had in a Welsh jersey for, for five, six years. I thought he was superb. His work rate was great. He was on his toes. He looked like he was enjoying himself. So for, for Lewis Sam, he's a young man. I think he's, he's intelligent enough. He's got his head screwed on his shoulders to realise, look, this is character building. I can't expect to be the first choice on the on on the, the team sheet every week. If I make mistakes, I may get punished for them. So it, it, it'll just back his ideas up and, and make him think, right, OK, every opportunity I get, whether it's for Gloucester or whether it's like when I do actually get on the field for Wales, I have to make those moments count. And, and what I like about him is he gets dropped from the team, he gets sent back to his club and he's told, look, perform for your club and you'll get back in the squad. He goes, he comes off the bench, scores another cracking try. Great attitude, has a lovely game. And then Wayne Pivak goes, thank you very much. Thanks for doing that. You're on the bench this week and you're going to have game time. And I think that's the only way you can do it. You know, he's a young man. If they're just going to keep playing him, even though he's not performing week in, week out, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible place to be because, you, you know, you just get complacent and bored and you don't play to your full ability. That's, that, that's my point on it anyway. So he's a great player. And he's only going to get better with these kind of learning uh, learning curves. Rhys Summit is now 21, a year younger than when you made your Wales debut at the age of 22. I know you had your injury issues just over a year after that, but were you ever faced with a similar selection selection issue where, for some reason, you weren't included in a game or a couple of games? And if so, how did you react to that when that happened? Well, I, I was a week away from my 23rd birthday, actually, but hey, who's, uh, who's counting? But um, <laughs> no, look, I was a late developer, certainly... I can I can very much late. I I got capped in 2000. I played my first Six Nations uh, tournament, scored three tries. Thought you know I'm on top of the world. This is the best place to be. I'm a Welsh international. This is fantastic. 
And then Mr. Steve Hanson became the Welsh coach and decided to drop me for two seasons for reasons of not being big enough, strong enough, defensively good enough. It's difficult. And and I, I certainly reacted differently to Lewis Rizamit. I went away, I tried working on my size and I threw all my toys out the pram. I hated Steve Hanson with a passion. And that's probably why it took me two years to get back into the team. But when I realised, look, this is for your own benefit. Learn from this. Work on your game. Come back. Let's prove this fella wrong. And that's what I eventually did. And But it looks like Lewis Rizamit has, has been able to do uh, in a week what it took me uh, maybe a year and a half to do. So, you know, full credit to him. Good on him. Like I say, 21 years of age. He's got his... He's got 100 caps to come if he just keeps his head on. In your latest column for the rugby paper, you spoke about the achievement that it is to win the Grand Slam. As you did for Wales in 05 and 08. Obviously, France are two wins away from doing that. But just in terms of preventing that Grand Slam, does that give the match an extra edge for Wales, who are obviously, they're no longer in the tournament as front runners yeah. for the championship. But do they see an opportunity here to not only spoil the French party, but also avenge what France did to them last year? Um, yeah. We'd love to spoil the party, of course we would. We don't like, all the nations don't like seeing the other nations win a Grand Slam. However, if you win a Grand Slam, you've thoroughly deserved it. It's it's such a difficult thing to do. There's a fine line between winning and losing six nations. Teams are, uh, are very evenly uh, matched out there. And you obviously have to win all your games away, away and, and at home. So it, it is a big achievement. If you do it, you, you thoroughly deserve to do it. And the way France are playing at the moment, you know, you wouldn't begrudge them that. But of course, Wales would love to spoil the party. It'd be fantastic for, for Welsh rugby. It'd be great for the players. It'd be great for Cardiff to see this Welsh team uh, with a couple of changes beat potentially the, the next world champions. I'd love to see it happen, but we'll wait and see. We'll do our best. I can, I can promise you that. One of Wales's sort of advantages, so to speak, and Brendan, I'm going to come to you about this, is that they are at home. And the Principality Stadium has been cited as, I think, three of our five guests so far as one of, if not their favourite stadium in the world. Because the atmosphere is electric and that atmosphere will be a pro-Wales atmosphere. Will France fear that? Or having gone to Murrayfield and prevailed so convincingly over Scotland, Brendan, will any sort of Principality Stadium demons have diminished as a result of that? Well, this is the big test, isn't it? I mean, as you say, I thought that was a very impressive win in Scotland on the road. But, you know, France don't have a particularly good record in Cardiff. And this group is still, you know, the, the young players in that French team have not played in Cardiff very often. So if they get the full Cardiff experience, and it, and it was slightly worrying to read, um, there's still 10,000, 15,000 tickets, I believe, not sold at the moment. Hopefully there will be a walk-up and it will be the full capacity you know, this is one of the few things we don't really quite know about the French team yet. In terms of talent, they've got all the talent in the world. They've got one very good away win this season in Scotland. Let's see if they can back that up. I'm not going to dwell on the French team selection too much because, like we keep saying, all of a sudden you can predict 13 out of 15 shirts. Um, the only change enforced has been through unavailability. Pinot out and Villiers back in. Shane, I'm sure you've been told that Villiers has shades of you back in your pomp in that he's one of the smallest men on the pitch but produces some of the greatest moments of brilliance on the pitch. Speak a little bit about what he brings to a French side and how in the modern game a winger like that still very much has a part to play. Yeah, uh, without doubt. I think, you know, in, in stature, he's not, he's, he's not the largest, but, you know, he's got a big heart and his work rate is incredible. Pops up on both wings. He takes short balls off DuPont. He's always on shoulders, working hard to get around the corner. And if you do work that hard and you're prepared to give it your all for 80 minutes, you you reap the benefits. And I'd, I'd like to think that's how I played. You know, I'd work my socks off to, to get involved in that game as much as possible. The game, you know, is, as far as I'm concerned, it's never been for only for the, the bigger, more physical guys that just want to run straight and make a game boring. It, it is about players that, that, that like to attack shoulders, like to attack space work hard to make sure that they've kind of find that space to do it and reap the benefits because of it. And Villiers is one of them. Uh, Mac Hansen for, for Ireland is, is another one. Michael Lowry, Darcy Graham, not the biggest in the world, but they managed to get over that game line just as easy as the other players around them. They want to get involved in the game. They don't shy away from contact. They don't shy away from the, the guys that are six foot six, six foot seven. And I think now, especially now with the the whole tackle laws, it's it's even more difficult to tackle someone that's five foot seven, five foot eight, because you're six foot ten. You've got to get down low as as you possibly can, avoid any contact above that chest area. So 
there's that factor as well. You know, no one wants to get sent off this day and age, and it's and it's easier to get sent off this day and age as well. So the the fact that these players are uh, are having a go is great to see, and Villiers is is reaping the benefit. He's a great little player. Let's move on to England, Ireland. Just in terms of the predictions, we've all backed a France win. Shane, as you've said, you don't see a Wales win likely happening, but. Obviously, I would quite like to be proved wrong and leave a title decider in Paris. But that's, of course, on the basis that England beat Ireland, which is another another matter. Now, Joe Marler, Eddie Jones, Andy Farrell, they've all described this match as we're looking at a brawl, a real hard-as-nails tussle between two very pack-driven teams. Nick, is that how you see it? It's a bit of a cliche. Any Six Nations game is always going to be about a battle up front. At the moment, I think that Ireland have most of the aces in the pack. I don't think that this England pack is a patch on some of those that have gone before it. They're not particularly well selected at the moment. I think that the front row has got serious weaknesses and the back row is is a bit of a, a mix and match. I mean, the England pack has got a huge amount to prove in this game. They have not really been imposing in any of the games. You know, I mean, I think that England have got it absolutely all to do and have a massive point to prove if they want to be considered to be World Cup contenders at all. In terms of the back row, the temptation was there to bring back a now fit Sam Underhill. Brendan, do you see Underhill as now no more than an in and out member of England camp or do you see the possibility of reuniting the Kamikaze brothers back from 2019 at some point in time for the World Cup? Well, that's a tricky one. I mean, I'm a big Sam Underhill fan. But that combination with Tom Curry seemed very specific for that time and, and that tournament. And, and it's, it's how things shift around. I, I was talking to Nick about this the other morning. Tom Curry, to me at the moment, is not the player that I watched two years ago, three years ago. And he's bulked up. He's put a stone, stone and a half of muscle on. And no question, it's muscle, not fat. And I'm sure he will tell us over 40 yards, he's still doing the same split time. But he's not as uh, versatile, dexterous. He's not as light on his feet around uh, the ruck, getting in for the jackal. He's not having the impact that I remember him having in 2018, 2019. So he's a different player than what he was. Uh, you've got Sam Underhill, who unfortunately does seem to have encountered serious injury problems. You've got Alex Dombrand settling in. Sam Simmons, he doesn't play the same role for England as he does for Exeter, where everything revolves around getting the ball in Sam Simmons' hands for Exeter. So I think, you know, England have got back row strength, but I'm not convinced they're anywhere near getting the right combination together. In Lawrence Delario's podcast, he spoke about a lack of ball carries. And one thing that was curious to me is he said that, and there wasn't a single mention of the Vunapola brothers, who, whose ball carrying was something England revolved around for four or five years, certainly in the lead up to the World Cup. Do they come back in? I mean, they're a, they're a part of this debate, but Eddie Jones has shut the door on them. And, you know, is that the nail in the coffin? I, I think that they did need, a, did need a shake up, but I don't think that they should be cast into outer darkness. You know, I mean, it's about competition for places. That what's, that's what makes great international sides is people competing for places. Billy Vunapola should definitely be in the shaker for the back row. You know, I mean, I don't think there's any question. Mako's injured at the moment, but he he also would be a contender at loose head. I mean, I don't necessarily see him as the starting loose head, but I would definitely have him there or thereabouts. Billy shed a bit of weight as well, and he's going very well for Saracens at the moment. He's had he's put together the, lo- the longest run of games he has in God knows how long. Now, earlier, I mentioned an interesting proposition for the England 12th position. You might be able to guess what this is, but obviously the modern way, and we've spoken about this in the form of Manu Tuolangi, is the hammer at 12 and the sort of incisor at 13. You look at Tuolangi, Slade, Aki, Ringrose, Dante, Fiku, Dielande and Am. It's a, it, that sort of formula is absolutely everywhere. Last time we spoke about Tuolangi for a good 15 minutes... Later that day, just after we released the episode, it turned out he wasn't playing. So that, was a, that wasn't exactly ideal for the, from the podcast perspective. But Jeff Probin recently published an article on life after Tuolangi and how we have to start planning for him to not be there rather than just saying he's coming back in X, Y, Z amount of time. Not only that, more immediately, a World Cup without Tuolangi, which is obviously a flip of a coin. England haven't tried anyone to meet that formula. It's not since Ollie Lawrence, and it seems that Jones has given up on that experiment. Brendan, do you see any England midfields that has been tried that meets that formula? And if not, would you like to see Sam Simmons given a go at 12, who has very good hands, number eights typically have very good hands, and obviously he meets that ball-carrying criteria? 
Well, that's a very interesting thought, and it's not the maddest thought ever. Uh, and I, I've all, I recently, I, I've got another one. Um, I think Freddie Stewart looks like a Jamie Roberts to me. Jamie Roberts started as a fullback, if you remember. In fact, he played fullback and wing for two years, then he moved to the centre. I think Freddie Stewart looks like a 12, huge impact, but also quite good hands. And England have got strength in depth at fullback. I think Max Maylind is a brilliant fullback. I'm not yet convinced with him on the wing, but I think he's a fantastic fullback. And there's Josh Hodge down at Exeter is going to be a very, very fine fullback very soon. But this is the stuff that Eddie should have been doing last year or during the, the COVID internationals, that, that November autumn cup when France were playing all sorts. Everybody got a game. Well, that's what England should have been doing then. But I would, I quite like the idea of Sam Simmons. I very much like the idea of Freddie Stewart at 12. Shane, thoughts? Do you think either of those two are starters at 12? Well, if you certainly look at, at how Sam Simmons plays for Exeter, he's, he, he pretty much is a, is a centre, isn't he? He's involved heavily in the centre of the field a lot of the time. He is a distributor. Certainly not something I, I've ever thought of, but uh, now that you mention it, it's not a bad option to be fair. But I, I've, I've got to say, Freddie Stewart, he, he does remind me. He does remind me of a Jamie Roberts, tall, rangy, strong. Uh, you'd certainly worry about him coming straight down your channel. I'm going to keep vouching for Sam Simmons at 12. I want to see it happen. And hopefully it goes a bit better than the Sam Burgess at 12 experiment. Um, but I'm pleased that you you guys didn't shut me down completely. Uh, Why not? On the topic of the back line, the back three. Now, one thing that, again, I'm going to offer my opinion and you know, happy to be shot down. England are lacking X factor in the back three at the moment with Malins, Marchants, Daly and Noel. None of them have that express speed or that express size. You've got Adam Radwan playing really well for Newcastle. Joe Thokonasiga has scored three tries in two games since he came back. He obviously brings that size. Ollie Hassel-Collins is a Radwan alternative, so to speak. Shane, do you think England are playing that their best back three available to them at the moment? Obviously, no Johnny May, no Anthony Watson, but they both bring that X factor, and it's not really being made up for in the choices they're making. I'm a big fan of Thokonasiga. You know, when he's played for England, he's given that different dynamic as well. He's a big lad. He's very quick off the mark. And also, he's got a good engine and work rate. I'd certainly, I look at some of the England players that are playing Marlins on uh, on, on the wing. Yeah, I wouldn't be as worried to play him as I would, obviously, talking to the singer. But Jack Noel as well, he doesn't, he's a great player. I know he's lost a bit of weight as well, but he hasn't quite got that zip again about him. But I'm sure that that will come back in time. Certainly didn't trouble Wales as much as you know the likes of May and, and and the rest of them have done over the years when we played them up in Twickenham. Didn't really. You know, Freddie Stewart was great under the high ball, but didn't really get released. Yeah, there's there's a, there's room for uh, a real superstar to come through. I think on that wing. Just on the subject of the Stockton Sigger figure. 115 kilos. He's obviously an absolute unit of a man. The modern way, and we had Caden Murley on a few weeks ago, and he sort of testified that this was the way, is a wing focus more on speed and efficiency rather than size. You see Vakatawa, who started on the wing, he's moved into 13. George North started on the wing, he's moved into 13. Do you think there's still a role in the game for the powerhouse winger, the likes of Thokonasiga, Takeli Nairavoro, Namani Nadolo, for example? Yeah, well, Nadolo's a different animal altogether. Yeah, he's a crazy prop playing on the wing. So I, I, I've, I've played against that fella. I was in Japan, actually, and um, one of our wingers on the other side was 72 kilos, and he was facing Nadolo, who was 30, 131 kilos. Bless him. <laughs> um, it was the toughest day of his life, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> oh, no. But again, a player of that size with amazing hand skills and, and, and a quality player. I don't think the days have gone of, you know, these big, big, strong wingers because you look at the footwork on Crocker Singer and, and these guys, you know, they, they can they can still beat defenders on a one-on-one. They still go for the outside. They rely, of course, if they've got to go into contact, they rely on their power and their strength to kind of get the ball back or maybe get over the game then and beat the defender. But if they've got to use footwork as well, some of these players out there, they're absolute class. So I don't think those days are gone. In fact, I think it's just bringing a different dynamic to the game. Let's move on to Ireland, who have made six changes compared to the side that faced Italy. Now, one of the bigger surprises is in the back row, where, to be fair, their strength and depth is strong, to say the least. Jack Conan on the bench, starting British Lion, he isn't starting. Uh, Caelan Doris, who went very well against Italy, has kept his spot at eight. Now, the names that Ireland have competing for the second row and the back row, James Ryan, Ian Henderson, Ty Byrne, Caelan Doris, Josh van der Fleer, Peter O'Mahony, Jack Conan, etc., to fill five shirts. 
do you think for England they've picked their and I'm going to come to you Brendan about this they've picked their best second row and back row or do you think it's a case of they're still trying to figure it out with that much depth I think Ireland are at the stage now where they're figuring things out I would see Peter Marnie straightforward uh, I mean terrific all-round player but his his great ability his line-out ability uh, as a source of line-out possession and nicking the opposition's line line out so I think he's there to do a job I think they've seen you know England have gone with the big three you know with, if, with laws in the back row they've gone with three line-out jumpers they need to to counter that and Amani is the best stealer of line-out possession I think in the modern game so he's there to do that Shane, what's England's game plan here? Obviously, they go in as underdogs, which at Twickenham, welcoming Ireland is a very rare sort of occurrence or certainly has been in the past decade or so. Given what we've said about this not necessarily being England's greatest pack ever, is their game plan to target Johnny Sexton and hope to rattle him or maybe force him off with an injury? Or is it to try and match Ireland's power and cohesion up front and let the back line take care of itself? I think every time you play Ireland, it's uh, number one game plan is Ruffle Sexton's feathers. He's a player, you know, who, who pretty much will be, you know, be running the show for Ireland. He is someone that all the plays go through defensively and attacking. And I can promise you every time we played against them, that would be the, the number one focus. Easier said than done, I can assure you. I think with Ireland, it's, it's disrupting the breakdowns. They're very good at looking after the ball. The amount of phases they play through, just play in the right areas. Then Sexton with a nice little kick over the top, especially with the new 50-22 law, he'll be looking for a couple of those to regain possession back in the 22. They're, they're a very, very well-organised outfit. Uh, and it's a big ask for England, you know, in all areas, to be honest with you. Just one doubt I feel sort of compelled to clear up is, as we've published on the rugby paper, Johnny Sexton has signed on until the 2023 World Cup. Now, this has been misreported on Instagram and Facebook particularly with big pictures that say Sexton retires, which is obviously absolute nonsense. He's, he's playing until the World Cup and he's said that he will retire after the World Cup. So just in case any of our listeners had seen that and wonder why we're still talking about him, that is why. Now, James Lowe has ousted Matt Hansen. Shane, you mentioned Matt Hansen and his work rate and how he has that ability to show up, make things happen. James Lowe, when he came onto the scene, there were concerns about his defence. He seems to have by and large, eliminated those concerns. I still have concerns about his awful haircut, but that doesn't necessarily warrant non-selection. Do you think that's slightly harsh on Matt Hansen to have gone so well in the first couple of games and then be ousted like that? It, it, it is difficult because I think Matt Hansen's had a great tournament. Um, you know, he's he, he's been thrown into the side. He's probably playing because James Lowe was coming back from injury. But James Lowe, he is, he is a quality player. Yeah, there, there was talk about his defence, but I think he has worked on that. And it's not a gamble, is it? He's, he's a quality player that uh, that could come in and do that. And, and Andrew Conway on on the other wing as well. He's been there, done it. It's just obviously Mark Hansen's the, the the fall guy, unfortunately. But you know we're going to see him again. And just one final note. One word has been thrown around all week to do with Ireland, and it's cohesion. Eddie Jones has spoken about the Ireland connection. They have sixteen Leinster players in their Six Nations squad. Four provinces. They've all they all play together or play against one another a lot more than happens in England, for example. Charlie Ewells has come out and said, and this has been published on the Rugby Paper website, that England will never have the same cohesion as Ireland. Nick, do you think that's the case? What I don't like about it is is, is it smacks of, a, of an excuse. As long as Leinster are going well or their provincial sides are going well, Ireland will benefit from that, um, that cohesion and so on. But it hasn't been a you know, a gold card to multiple grand slams, domination of the European game, etc. You know, so I'm quite surprised that it comes out at this juncture. They should be looking at how they beat Ireland. They should be looking, as Shane's mentioned, they should be looking at the breakdown. They should be looking at the way that France disrupted Ireland at the breakdown, the way in which the, 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 the sheer aggression and tenacity that the French showed at the breakdown is what England are going to have to show if they're going to if they're going to come away with a win at Twickenham. Just a quick note on predictions for this game, Brendan. You are the only one out of the four of us to back England, and not only that, you've got England by about ten points. Now, you did these predictions two months ago, and maybe your prediction has changed. But are you sticking by it for today's purposes? I'm going to stick with it. I mean. I'll look, I'll look foolish. Um, yes, I actually think Ireland will win, but I'm going to stick with this because 
England need to be see themselves as underdogs in this match, and they are underdogs for lots of reasons, mainly because Ireland, I think, are a better team. But England do play well when they're underdogs, and Twickenham is a big ground. It's a huge thing for them. So I'm strap in for this one. I think it's going to be a very, very good match. I think we're going to get the full Monty. Uh, no, I'm going to stick with England just for the fun of it. Let's look forward to Saturday evening. Right, a break in proceedings before we address the final game of this weekend. Shane, every week we have our guests answer 15 questions. So this is Shane Williams' Random Rugby 15. 15 quickfire questions, mostly around rugby, a couple of exceptions to that. You can say as much or as little as you like. We are a little bit pushed for time, so ideally it will be the latter. When you're ready, we will get going. Okay. Nickname? River. Best rugby memory? Probably my my final cap for Wales at the Millennium Stadium uh, with my kids on the field. Oh. Most embarrassing rugby memory? I turned up for a Lions match on the South Africa tour with, with only one boot. <laughs> Pre-game tune? Probably Eminem, Lose Yourself. Post-game meal? Absolutely anything. If you've worked hard enough for 18 minutes, you'll eat anything. Best player you've played against? Probably, I'll pick a winger, Brian Habana. Absolute class, work rate and phenomenal finisher. Best player you've played with? Brian O'Driscoll, a genius of a rugby player, really intelligent, knew the game inside out. Favourite player right now? Cheslin Colby. Nice. Rugby idol? I got two really, Joe Davis, bit before my time, and Yayan Evans. Favourite stadium? Uh, Millennium Stadium or the Knoll in Neath. <laughs> Favourite gym exercise? Oh, squats. I, I, uh, I was good at squats. I got a big backside. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Occupation if rugby didn't exist? Well, I, I worked at the job centre signing my mates on before I became a rugby player, so I'd probably still be there. Superstitions? Uh, I used to like being last out of the changing rooms for games. Rugby rule you would change? Oof, I really don't know. I'd like to see less TMOs decisions. I think those decisions should be made before before the referees even seen them. Best thing about working in rugby? Making friends all around the world. We've actually had a few requests from listeners and to ask you, team wheels or team doors? And let me just explain that. So on TikTok and other social medias, there's a current debate over whether there are more wheels or doors in the entire world. Are you team yeah. wheels or team doors? Do you know, my, my daughter last night asked me this question. Uh, so it must be massive on TikTok. And we were in the kitchen and I was trying to work out really quickly just from what I could see in the kitchen. I'm going to go for wheels because there's, there's wheels in everything, isn't there? There's wheels in cogs, there's wheels in cars, there's wheels everywhere. I don't know. Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? But it has, it has taken off. Brendan, Nick, do you have any thoughts? I'd go with wheels. <laughs> Brendan, I'm yeah, wheels. No, wheels, you know, watches, that's full of wheels. They're, they're, they're everywhere. Okay, yeah, nice. yeah. So we've got four people for Team Wheels. I very much agree. Right. Well, that was the quickest fire section we've ever had. And very interesting. Uh, very <laughs> interestingly, a lot of your answers were very similar to Kazen, Kazen Murley. Um, very, okay. very similar, actually. You're both squatters as well. So clearly, <laughs> clearly that's a winger thing to help with high ball work yeah. and stuff. Big, big backsides. Exactly. Awesome work. Um, thank you very much for doing that, Shane. Let's Italy versus Scotland. So the Scotland team has been announced, uh, just been announced actually at the time of recording. And there's a bit of firepower coming into the back row in the name of Hamish Watson. Now, I have an apology to make to Rory Darge because I expressed my concerns that he would be too small to make an impact against the monstrous French pack a couple of weeks ago. And fair to say he was Scotland's best player. He was by far and away their shining light and he was absolutely superb. So I take back everything I said. Now, he's packing up alongside Hamish Watson. A lot of people have called Darja younger, slighter Hamish Watson. Brendan, do you see that as a fair reflection? And do you see a new sort of kamikaze brothers vibe to this in the Curry and Underhill mould? I think that's exactly it. Um, it. It is a sort of replica of the Curry Underhill uh, at their best. And um, actually, Dodge is a really good player. I'm not at all surprised he did well. I think it's quite an interesting selection putting them together. And Ferguson coming back at number eight, he is also key for Scotland. I think he's a very mm -hmm. underrated player, gives them go forward. And when Scotland play well, he, he tends to have a big match. And I think he's been a big loss through injury. So that, I think, is looking pretty good for Scotland. I wouldn't be at all surprised if that back row went very well. Is the Italy game an opportunity for Scotland, who are still not quite settled, a chance to find their best 15? Or is it a chance for experimentation? 
No, do not do not experiment. I would suggest uh, going to Rome. This Italy team, I you know they they're they're a team that they are progressing. A lot of good young players coming through, and I I think Scotland will still win. But Italy be tough, will be tough. They they're a very proud nation. At home, they're a different kettle of fish. I do see Scotland winning this game, but do not take them lightly. One area I keep coming back to um, for all of the home nations, and it seems that the only home nation with a stable midfield is Ireland at the moment, and it is that midfield. Sam Johnson is in for Sione Tuapilotu. Nick, do you see Tuapilotu's replace, uh, being replaced by Johnson as the fact that he hasn't cut it in the past couple of games where he has come in? And are Scotland still waiting for someone to come forward like Chris Harris has done with the 13 jersey and claim that 12 jersey? One person who's been going very well for Harlequins, for example, is a certain Hugh Jones, who a few years ago took the world by storm. I, I don't think that... Tuipilotu had the uh, impact for Scotland that he has for Glasgow, but I think that that's probably to be expected because he's, you know, just finding his feet at international level. Sam Johnson, for me, is one of those players, he never seems to play badly for Scotland to me. He always seems to give them go forward. He's always a threat. I felt against France that, you know, Scotland were right in the game until Fiku scored that arcing try just before half time and then Dante scored a minute into the second half and that that you know that took the game away from them but other than that they came back well in the uh, in the second half and if Stuart Hogg had managed to hold on to the pass after the Van der Merwe break they might well have really rattled France one thing I want to talk about Stuart Hogg and Finn Russell together now one thing that keyboard warriors love to do is turn lights on and lights off incredibly quickly Three weeks ago when he came opposite Smith, people were singing Russell's praises. Now the knives have come back out after he's had a couple of bad games. Same thing for Hogg, who a couple of years ago made two tri-costing mistakes in the 2026 Nations. You could argue that it wasn't the best pass by Chris Harris, but he did the same thing against France. Shane, do you think this criticism is unfair for two players who essentially are the, the key cogs in Scotland's backline? Well, you, you do have to heavily rely on them because they are Scotland's best players, really. And, and when they don't perform or make these errors, it's it's highlighted more, isn't it? Look, they're still quality players. They haven't become poor in, in an 80-minute period of rugby. And yeah, it was a difficult pass for, for Hogg, to be perfectly honest with you. But you know, people say, well, he's a quality player. He should be catching those passes. But in the heat of the moment, you don't know what's happening. I think with, with Russell, I think it was just his attitude at times. People questioned, wasn't it? You know, he'd be walking around and he had his head dropped and, and Scotland was still in the game. I think that for me, as a fan and as a coach, would be infuriating. But there's no doubt he is still, you know, one of the most skillful, talented outside halves out there. And on his day, he's a world beater and, and certainly proven that proved that against England at the start of the Six Nations. So it's just the frustration from people sometimes. I've no doubt that, you know, he could go out there on the weekend and, and be mesmeric again and, and help Scotland have a big victory. Stuart Hogg scores two tries in the corner. All is forgiven and forgotten again until someone brings out a bloopers DVD in a couple of years' time. Do you know what I mean? So that's that's rugby for you. You get you take the rough with the smooth. I think they're both you know thick-skinned enough to realise you're going to get this criticism. It's it's how you react to that. As a captain, you have to do that, don't you? Yeah. And Duhan van der Merwe, obviously, he's out of this game. He got sent off for Wor- uh, Worcester when elbowing while carrying. I must say, I didn't see the incident. I don't know if that, um, any of you did. I did. I thought it was harsh. I thought he led with the hand and it in the dynamic situation of two blokes mm-hmm. running at 20 miles an hour. It slipped up to the elbow and, and the forearm. It was to the side. It was it was an old-fashioned handoff that went slightly wrong. Completely different to one of these big forearm fends. When you're looking at the bloke in front of you and you are proactive and you go in to hurt him, you're the initiator. But uh, anyway, he's got a three-week ban and he won't be playing on Saturday. It is a blow because... He was one of Scotland's better players against France, obviously scored a try. He's 105 kilos, certainly fits the bigger winger moulds that we were discussing earlier. Kyle Stain, who has come in for him, 102 kilos. Do you think Scotland is simply trying to find a like-for-like replacement? Well, it looks like it, doesn't it? And they've got Darcy Graham on the other wing, haven't they? That's about 80 kilos. So, um, look, it's it's just you've just got to pick the best best players you have available to you, really, whether they're six foot five or, or five foot six. If they deserve their place, they've been playing well for their clubs, and why not give them that opportunity? The, the, the thing is, sometimes these are the perfect opportunities to find your hidden gems, find a player that perhaps wouldn't have had that opportunity. Maybe, you know, Ireland, Mark Hansen, Villiers, if, you know, when Penno and the rest of them have 
fit, you know. They come in, do the business, and before you know it, you, in a blink of an eye, they've had 50, 60 caps. Italy are a team that are running out of chances to make a statement in this Six Nations. There were shades of potentially doing so against France in the first game, and they haven't, you know, they haven't done that since. Nick, for you, is this their biggest opportunity? Obviously, they travel to the Principality Stadium next week, which is arguably a harder fixture. Is this their final good opportunity to make that statement and state their credentials for we belong in the Six Nations? Yeah, I mean, I think that every game is an opportunity for them to do that. And uh, but particularly in Rome, I think one of the pities is, is that I, I think because of COVID restrictions, the Olympic Stadium is only about a third full. But uh, yeah, look, I, I think that Italy have always got an opportunity, whether they win or not, if they put on a performance against Scotland that lifts the people in the stadium, where they show the, the, uh, the, the, the passion that they've got for playing for their country. I think that it it is a win for them in a in, in a sense until they you know their standard gets up to where it needs to be. And there are players who have made an impression. Um, Lamoureux, their captain, has made fifty nine tackles in three games, which is a very very impressive statistic. Shane, one final question for you before we wrap up for today. We spoke at the rugby paper about players of Italy that would make another twenty three in the Six Nations, and one name that came up was Monte Iwani. What is your best back three? Does he feature in your best back three of the Six Nations? He's obviously very, very electric. Oh, God. Um, what a question. I think Villiers, Villiers for France, full-back. Wow. Uh, Jaminet uh, has been great also with his kicking ability. Points scored has been superb, but full-back, very difficult one here. Uh, I'm a big fan of Monte Ioni, actually. I think, he, he, again, he's got good work. Unfortunately, Italy, I'm going been going particularly well so he, he wouldn't quite make it for me I, in fact I think probably Peno for yeah. France as well it's a French back three isn't it I didn't even realise uh, <laughs> having said it so I, I think that says it all doesn't it really a French back three and that's a good way to finish it and well we've been speaking about the French pack and the French midfield we've barely even mentioned their back three and that just shows yeah. that they really right now they do not have a weakness some great discussion today Shane thank you so much for joining us enjoy Cardiff tomorrow um, and I take well, tons of pleasure in saying good luck in the battle for fourth place in the next <laughs> Nick Cain Brendan Gallagher thanks very much and I will see you both next week cheers guys cheers guys thank you cheers. Join us next time for the final preview of the final weekend of the Six Nations as we look forward to Super Saturday, which culminates with the blockbuster France versus England in Paris. I'm rejoined by Nick Kane and Brendan Gallagher, as well as Scotland great Gavin Hastings. Mm-hmm.